0: Are you ready to embrace a healthier, more vibrant life? Look no further than With Joy, a transformative movement and nutrition program that goes beyond the ordinary. With Joy is not just a program, it's a movement. We believe that true wellness encompasses mind, body, and spirit. Our approach is rooted in compassion care, tailored to each individual. We're here to elevate you to a place of health, wellness, and healing. Whether you're a seasoned athlete or just starting your fitness journey, we've got something for you. Our comprehensive programs include strength, mobility, endurance, and conditioning to elevate your fitness, recovery and recuperation for healing, and nutrition wellness plans to fuel your body for optimal performance. Check out our show notes for more information and links to our programs. Join the With Joy movement today and discover a whole new way to thrive. Hi, beautiful listeners. Laura here. Before we get started, I wanted to give you a content warning. Today's episode contains cursing and depictions of emotional, psychological, and physical manipulation and abuse. Between minutes 32 to 34, there will be mention of suicidal thinking, which I know can be distressing. Listener discretion advised. And please take good care of yourselves. If you need mental health resources and support, please call 988 in the United States or connect with a mental health provider in your area. Thanks so much. Now,
1: without further ado. Hi, I'm Joy Han Silva. And I'm Laura Han Segundo-Collins. And welcome to Hanacity. Hi. Hi. How are you feeling?
0: So this is going to actually be a lot easier, believe it or not, even though it incorporates the end of my career. The last episode, which was the arm break before the state meet, that was harder, I think, for a couple of reasons. One is I'd never been injured before. That was a massive trauma. By the way, thank you all so much for listening, being with me through that, because it's not something I want to think about and nobody ever wants to. But the second thing was, that was the beginning of the change of my personality. I realized then that these people could hurt me.
1: Mm-hmm. You better
0: listen up because that's, yeah, uh, you could get really hurt if you don't listen to them and do exactly what they want.
1: <clears throat> so that's like a really good place to start because we talked about your childhood and the type of kid that you were on the earlier episodes. And you're saying there was a personality shift pretty shortly after this break. Yeah. So let's dive into that. Who was Laura after that break?
0: I think after that, my focus was, I just need to get better. I need to get healthy and keep moving on. I still liked mastering stuff for myself. I still had my friends. Thankfully, I had really good friends. But I definitely did not have that sheer hyperness that I had before. That absolute joy wasn't there. There was more of a compliance. I guess Mm. that's for better lack of a better word. It felt like I got in line. I am now part of the military. I am making my bed and standing in line. And I am absolutely part of the regiment
1: mm-hmm. at that point. Almost like gymnastics isn't, not that it wasn't fun. I'm sure there was fun in it. Like you still loved it, but it gymnastics just got really serious. In other words. Yeah, that
0: I finally got with the program. And that program was you just listen and do exactly as I say,
1: and you will be acceptable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what happened shortly after coming back from a pretty huge injury like that?
0: A few things happened. One is that I quickly went from class three. I didn't know what was going to happen, but Mm. suddenly I'm in class one and very quickly into junior B elite. And I think Mm. around that progression were a few things. One is the arm did get better, but it never got its mobility back. Mm. That's for sure. The left arm could never completely rotate outwardly as it did before. And I could never completely touch my shoulder again. So I started trying to compensate for that in other ways. Right. The second thing that happened, I did get moved up. So one of the Olympians ended up living with my sister, myself, and this other border. She used to take us to practice together. And we had to learn. Your former head coach, Gaza Pozar, used to have this like cool morning practice routine thing that was oh. really neat. So I remember getting to do that. And it was with the 88... 88- olympians i'm sure
1: we probably did the same routine because he had a court routine that
0: we did it was so cool the music was cool everything was cool about it and i remember feeling pretty intimidated because i think i was only like 11. wow i was pretty small and i had these women who were icons and amazing humans and every time they kind of enter the building or enter the space everyone got really quiet because here was bella's six-pack but i didn't stay in for very long, I remember being at some kind of clinic and it was the middle of summer, but I was freezing and feverish. Turned out I had chicken pox and I ended up coming back down, but being moved into now group one.
1: So you get moved down from a group because you got chicken pox? I don't remember.
0: Uh, okay. But yes. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's just say yes. You get kicked out of a group
0: Sounds good. because you
1: got sick. Okay.
0: Something like that. Interesting. I think the idea was to to try me out and then it didn't work out for whatever reason, which is fine. And instead, they had me go through from class three to class one to junior B elite, kind of as quickly as possible. I did have to compete a class one event. I vaguely remember learning that. And then I do some clinic thing with this judge who I adored, and she was a really tough beam judge, but I absolutely loved her. I learned so much from her. I do this clinic with her, and then suddenly I'm going to some meet to qualify for junior B. And now I'm 11, and I qualified, obviously don't remember that meet. Everything in my memory now is just like a bunch of different states in there.
1: Is there first place winnings? Because there there are in my head. Uh, My first junior B elite meet. Well, also in class one. I don't know if you remember this. I don't clearly. You won class one too. I did? Yeah, it's I totally remember because I watched those videotapes over and over again. But like just a class one meet or mm, pretty been... sure it was like a state or something like that. I think you're a class one. No recollection. But uh, you know, want everything, I think, except for like one event. You clean the competition. Oh,
0: well, that's fun. I do remember about class one. The, the routines were fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love yeah. compulsory routines. We right. have
1: this ongoing conversation how we wish compulsories were back in gymnastics. Yeah. But- oh,
0: they're so fun. I just remember really enjoying mastering it. And I really enjoyed the 1992 floor and beam routines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The bar one was harder because I had and looking back my elbow problem on the left side. I realize now made yeah. it practically impossible to do a particular skill as well as I could have. Yeah. Anyway. So Junior B Elite, eh, I think we're in 1989-ish in the beginning. And this is the story that Joanne shares when she came because my first Nationals, which was American Classic in Oakland, I freaking bomb. I don't know what that means, but I just did. And after that massive arm break, the biggest thing that I learned, I think, from that point is just put your head down and keep working. Mm. Just get better. Shove all of the criticisms and the ignoring from your coaches or whatever. So I don't really remember much between American Classic to U.S. Classic. I just know by U.S. Classic, I told myself I'm going to do better. I want to compete better. I want to feel better. And I had a blast. That Mm -hmm. actual competition in San Antonio, Texas, 1989, I don't remember much of it, but I remember really enjoying my beam routine and winning. I do remember getting up on a podium.
1: So a fun fact about your win at U.S. Classic, I have to share. Cause I know this is hard, hard for right you now. to admit, but we did some research to see how many gymnasts at that time of any sort of Asian American descent were national champions. And at the time there were only two Sabrina Mar and Do Yamashiro. Both kick. Um, which amazing, amazing gymnast icons, mm-hmm. which would mean that you are one out of a few that have won mm-hmm. a national title, which is incredible, okay. incredible accomplishment. And, you know, for me at this time, for both of us, it's a pretty white sport. There's not many people that look like us. And so, you know, me as a little girl watching you and and granted, we're closely related, but to see somebody when that looks like me. So you can only imagine the effect that that could have had on many little girls who look like you. It's really badass. Mm, I haven't thought of that. Yeah. Like, it's really cool. It's pretty cool. Okay. So UN nationals. What happens next?
0: Um, let's see. There's a sort of a collage of a bunch of really fun things that happened thereafter. One is getting I have to go home to California and having a great time getting to share that with everybody. There was the really fun exhibition called the Crest Symphony of Sports in Vail, Colorado, which was sort of intertwining iconic figure skater's Rhythmic and artistic gymnastics, and they put them all together, and they were amazing. It was myself and two of my teammates, and we were all pretty young, and it was really exciting. Uh, When you think about it, they're just sending off a bunch of 11 year olds, and we got to just meet really cool people. Hands down, one of the nicest human beings in the history of human beings is Bart Connor 100%. Mm. The incredible, wonderful, very kind, very sweet Christy Phillips was there, which was Mm. so cool. She was in our gym, the generation above us, and just so kind. Yeah. And for me, who was really, really cool, was meeting Diane Durham. Because, mm. you know, there wasn't a lot of women of women color Durham. in yeah. gymnastics. So to see her, and she's so graceful and so powerful and beautiful. Everybody was so gracious, just having a good time. I got to do floor.
1: It was supposed to be aired in Texas. Something came up, so it we couldn't see it. So... It definitely aired in California. I totally remember that because our parents were in the kitchen talking and my dad had taped it and I was watching because I, I knew there was a possibility of you being on and it came on and I screamed and ran into the kitchen. I freaked <laughs> out, literally freaked out. And I was like, Laura's on the TV. And everybody ran into the living room. And
2: mm-hmm. I don't know if we were
1: just having dinner with your parents or if there's a couple cousins. cousins. I vaguely remember another cousin being there. And we watched your routine, and it was so cool. Like it was amazing. And the funny thing is, it triggers another memory. When I was a child, we went to another similar exhibition when I was a little girl, and it was my Mm -hmm. parents and your mom. And it was just a gymnastics exhibition. I don't think there was figure skating with it, but Bart Connor was in the audience, and your mom, bless her heart, because she is one bold, fiery woman, she (laughs) she went to Bart Connor. And she introduced herself as Laura Segundo's mother. And she introduced me. This is my niece, who's also a gymnast and Bart Connor, He was so flabbergasted that we came up to him to introduce ourselves that he, he was so kind. He ended up introducing us to the group that he was in. And Mm -hmm. apparently his coach was sitting next to him and his coach also was so impressed that we were related to Laura Segundo and they Mm -hmm. ended up talking to us for a little bit. And he was so nice. And I just remember like being proud, like, oh my gosh, my cousin must have had some incredible impact on this gymnastics legend. Right. But yeah, I mean, it was really, really cool. He was really just sweet. Oh, thanks for sharing that joy. Really appreciate that. Yeah. I also think he thought you were fucking good. So (laughs) as you were. So what happens next? I think
0: this this is beginning of Marta reminding us that I'm young. It's just a few years away from Barcelona, so I have to. Can we
1: really quickly talk about who Marta Caroli is for those who do not know who she is? I think most of you
0: might have at least heard the name Caroli, and Bella and Marta were the couple that owned the gym. You might hear about Bella Caroli, and then you see Mary Lou Retton, and they're hugging, and Bella was serious too as well, but he was Mm -hmm. sort of the more demonstrative-esque person. But Marta, when she entered the room, a pin would drop. Like It Mm -hmm. got so quiet. She was a very serious one. I guess by impression, you would imagine Marta really controls everything. So when Marta would talk, you listen. And if she said to you, which she said to me, you're going to have to start going to meets, international ones, because we need to get you used to being on the world stage, because in the beginning, everyone's going to freak out, everyone's going to not do well, and you have to sort of groom yourself out of that and get to a place where you're comfortable being on a world stage, and we want you to peak right at 1992. Got it. And we had had this talk, and she's like, you're at a perfect age because you're starting to grow and develop your skills, and you're getting stronger, and I'm still 11, I think at this point, or 12. So I started going to more meets and one was in Canada. I think pretty much I bombed. <laughs> but it was actually, we had so much fun. I think it was like France, United States-esque kind of meet. I don't mm-hmm. remember. All I remember is back then, there's no chaperones. Your chaperone, quote unquote, was kind of is like your coach. Your coach but not yeah. Really. So Rick was our coach on that trip. But afterwards, you know, it was basically Team France and Team United States. And we're all Mm. a bunch of like little girls. I think we were like 11, 12, maybe 13, maybe 14. I have these old pictures of us running around like drinking Coke, (laughs) like drinking Coca-Cola, jumping all over the beds, just giggling and having so much fun. Mm -mm. The other thing that was also really cool, since we're on the national team now, we got to go to the U.S. training camp, which that was really fun to meet a bunch of other girls and get to spend time And then somewhere around there, it did start having problems with my right elbow. Mm -hmm. It was being more achy. It was kind of locking every so often. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And we went to Dr. Camp and he said, you know, you have these bone chips that are developing. Your cartilage is sort of weakened because of all the pounding. And the bone chips, what they're doing, they're going out into the joint. The joint has sort of a very nutrient-rich fluid and that causes things to grow because it maintains your joint health, right? But it's actually causing the bone chips to sort of grow, and it's tearing up your joint. So it's feeling like tendonitis, but it's actually being yeah. it's being created by this bone chip problem. And as much as I love Dr. Kant, and he was a really nice person, of course, it was pretty alarming news. We were told to get a second opinion. The Crowleys referred us to Dr. Jensen. We went to Dr. Jensen. He said it was not bone chips, and instead, it was tendonitis. You're fine. Do physical therapy. Jeez. And we believed him. <laughs> and so we started going into physical therapy in downtown Houston, where Dr. Jensen's uh, physical therapy clinic was. And we'd get up, crack of dawn, it was like five o'clock in the morning. Natalie would be driving us out there. There was a toll road with those old school coins you'd toss in mm-hmm. there multiple times a week. And it would be hey, before hey, practice. On. If
1: you're getting up at five in the morning, what time is your appointment with Dr. Jensen? Yeah, that's a good question. It'd probably be like six o'clock in the
0: morning or something like that. I might have even gone there before morning practice. Cause I remember we had morning practice a lot at Crowley's and I was at a physical therapy clinic every day.
1: I don't know any physical therapist who opens up their practice at five 30 or let's be generous. Let's say it opens at six 30. Yeah. That's unusual. Yeah. In my opinion, I think how
0: wild, for the Crowley's to have such control over a medical practice and a physical therapy practice for young people to be able to go that early
1: into the morning. Well, Mm -hmm. and also they're giving diagnosis that the Crowley's want to hear. It sounds like too. Yeah. feels like that, doesn't it? (laughs) It does feel like that. Like there's sort of this partnership with your doctors and your coaches. And so then who do you trust?
0: Yep. With medical physicians like these, who needs enemies?
1: Exactly definitely. So what happens next? The
0: winds start happening. U S classics symphony. of Sports, So basically all you
1: don't take time off. No, you keep competing. You yeah. keep training. You deal with quote unquote tendonitis. Correct. You take that diagnosis. Right.
0: And I want everyone to know during this time, I'm not the only one. There's lots of gymnasts living like this.
1: So I have a quick question for you, for those mm-hmm. people who say that's athletics, that's being an athlete, you ice, you heat, You deal with pain that's part of being a professional athlete right what is your take on that
0: the only difference when it comes to gymnastics versus when they think of those quote-unquote professional athletes they're thinking of grown men Mm -hmm. so they're thinking of basketball players football players but i appreciated hearing from a particular person we talked to not too long ago an author about this idea of male athletes they're not as competitive until they've gone through puberty but for gymnastics and particularly gymnastics at the time, maybe less so now, because I feel like the agility, the strength and the power that is required to do these incredible tricks that these women are doing right now requires that you have more muscle mass. But back then that wasn't the look, that wasn't the aesthetic that judges wanted, that gymnastics wanted. They wanted these wavy, tiny gymnasts. So I think if you were to put a grown man through that and he chose to do that, that is one thing. But when you're a child
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and your bones are developing and your body is developing and hormones have having even kicked in and we are under
1: strict diet to ward off hormones, to ward off the puberty. It's also this perspective to give our listeners of being that young and your bones not being fully developed and having these really extreme injuries at your young age. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about not having mobility in that elbow since you were 11 years old. And now you're 46 and you can look down on your arm, both arms and see sort of the wear and tear of those injuries and how they affected you till this day. And particularly it's because when you're at that age, your bones are softer and they aren't able to take the load of a 46 hour work week. Cause that's not normal. Yeah. It's such a good point.
0: And then later on, you and I both deal with chronic pain. There's hormonal issues as we get older. People have periods far later that have ramifications down the road as well. So when people say, well, that's just part of the sport, I say, but not for children. Mm -hmm. I think at the time, and this is my personal opinion, having lived through it, I don't think there was a need to train children 46 hours a week.
1: Mm -hmm. I
0: don't. There's nothing healthy about that. There is no need to starve a child. There's a line between training somebody for them to be in in an optimal environment, in an optimal condition to be the best athlete that they can be. And then we're looking at exploitation and abuse, really harming somebody, not the best interest of the child, not the best interest of the athlete, regardless of the age. It has everything to do with whatever that adult is going through. That's my opinion, at least, having lived through it.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, and another side note, the fact that you were fucking winning when you had a bone chip in your arm or tendonitis. Either and one. that's just one. I also
0: had tendonitis in both wrists, tendonitis in both ankles. So I don't know if you see any of the pictures of US classics, but I have two taped, taped up angles, all over the place. And there was also these, I don't know what they're called. They look like braces, but I have them on floor because my
1: ankles were thrashed as well. But, okay. Even more reason to be like, what the fuck? You're winning. And you're winning. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Again, it's like the glass of water
0: and you start pouring some kind of toxicity into it. You take something that is pure and has really wonderful talent. And instead of helping it, growing it, raising it, nurturing it, what I would expect a good coach to do, they wear it down and use it up. And if it doesn't keep up, they spit it out. That's how it felt. Yeah. So- I'm just going to say this right now, looking back as a 46-year-old woman right now with children of my own, I would actually venture to say, you're not great coaches. Mm.
1: I'm
0: not going to lie. What kind of a coach takes their talent and exploits it to a point where they can't move? They can't feel? I mean, I'm not talking even physically. I'm talking mentally, emotionally, spiritually, soulfully.
1: mm Mm-hmm.
0: And then if that person doesn't do what you want it to do, you just toss it aside
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: and just move on to the next one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That to me, you're a shitty coach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's no coaching in that.
1: You're yeah. no, just a shitty coach or a shitty person. Shitty person. Yeah.
0: To me, great coaches look at somebody and say, you know, I see it. How do we develop it? How would you raise it? So you have confidence that you are feeling good about yourself, because we are all going to mess up. We're all going to fail. We're all going to make errors. That's normal. Yeah. But How can we take that and and build you up, not break yeah. you down more? Oh, yeah. you're injured. What can we do to help you recuperate, replenish, recover, and come back even stronger? Yeah. And not just physically, emotionally and mentally. Yeah. To me, that's a good coach. And what we went through was a bunch of really shitty coaching by fear people. Yeah. I'm just going to say that now and I'm proud, fucking proud to say that for once because I'm so tired of looking back and hearing, oh my God, look at all the wins. We were so, as a country, so obsessed with trying to win these gold medals at the sacrifice of, you know, and we have amazing gymnasts that did get through that. That's the thing. 92, 96. I mean, these are incredible people. I don't know if the word is luck because they put their bodies through a lot too. And then we also have thousands of other gymnasts that are like you and me and are sitting here. And they thought, oh, I didn't make it. It wasn't that big a deal. It was... And we are told that as we are sitting here with arthritis in our knees and our shoulders and our backs and missed discs and all kinds of things, thinking that we weren't that good. But the reality was, oh my God, we went through some shit. Yeah. We're amazing, extraordinary athletes. And I hope you all hear that. I hope you let it sink in and really, really own that. Mm-hmm. You all were incredible and it has been an honor. It is an honor to be counted as this incredible group of women in the 80s and 90s who put up with some shit. Well, um,
1: all right. <laughs> That's
0: okay. I just have to say that in this part
1: right now because because it's fucking true. Yeah. Are you overwhelmed, stuck, maybe disconnected in your relationship? Would you like to find more clarity and balance? Look no further than Laura Collins, LCSW, providing individual and couples counseling with warmth and empathy, a safe space to navigate life's challenges and connect you with your shine. Laura also specializes in working with current and former athletes and coaches, performance anxiety to post-competition transition. She understands the unique mental demands of the sports world curious to dive deep? Check out the links in our show notes for additional information about our practice and how we can support you in your journey. What's next? Okay.
0: Um. Now by 1990, my elbow is getting worse. It's really aching. It's really locking. And what happened is that the cartilage sort of got popped a hole. The bone chips are now in the joint and now it's ripping up the joint. So now we've made our way so back. So it's not
1: tendonitis. So it's not tendinitis. Yeah.
0: That doctor was wrong. Absolutely wrong. <laughs> you were terribly wrong. So we go back to Kent Stewart and Fitzgerald. And this time I go see Dr. Stewart. Dr. Stewart was one of the kindest human beings in the history of human beings. Absolutely adorable. Had like a little space between his teeth. It was so sweet. What I liked about him most of all is because I felt like he could read me. And I was so scared of what it would mean because every time I had heard, we have to remove cartilage and take these bone chips out because they're continuing to rip up your joint. And then after that was, it is a long recovery because now you have no more cartilage. That scared the bejesus out of me. And Dr. Stewart was really good about trying to deliver that to a 12-year-old.
1: Yeah, that, that's another element that I can't Because now I'm imagine.
0: like, what does that mean? Can I do gymnastics anymore? then I started getting scared. Like, what does that mean? Am I going to always either do gymnastics with pain or can I not do gymnastics and anymore? How do you
1: make that decision? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I can't negotiate that in my head. Yeah. So I do, I end up having this surgery, which I picture of and can share on social media. It was a bone chip that was so big and they did do uh, arthroscopic. So they had like the little wands that go in there and they had to cut it up and they took out three pieces and it was like a mm. huge chunk. So at this point now I have no cartilage in my joint because it's either ripped up or they had to clean it up and the cartilage doesn't grow back. That's so I am bone told
1: hitting bone.
0: It's bone hitting bone. And then around that same time I get an invitation for the World Sports Fair in Tokyo and Marta said you have to go. You have to go. It's 2 years before the Olympics. This is perfect timing. You're a perfect age, 12. And I remember going back and forth in my head but I just just had surgery and it's
1: supposed to be a long healing process. It's supposed
0: to be a long healing process. Eight weeks after the surgery, pretty sure it was eight weeks. It was not long at all. I did not have time to recover at physical therapy, but I'm at that arena in Japan.
1: There's so many questions on that because, you know, I coach, and I was a young Mm -hmm. coach. I mean, I was like in my twenties when I was coaching. So I think in my mind, if I was coaching an athlete, that had just have major surgery and they're telling me that there's this competition that she needs to go to, I would immediately be like, well, she needs to heal, right?
2: right? Like we
1: need to send an alternate, but let's say for some stupid reason, I make that stupid decision and I let that kid compete or I decide to let that come compete. There mm-hmm. has to be a medical release. There has mm-hmm. to be a doctor that says, okay, we need to medically release her because it's a liability since okay. you're a minor. Like it's one thing if you were a 22 year old adult saying it's my body, I can do whatever I want to, I'm going to do this, but you're not, you're a little girl right? and you have no agency in that. You cannot say, this is my body. I'm going to make that decision for myself. Mm -hmm. What's happening is Marta Crowley Mm -hmm. who has the power, not only over a little girl's body, but over a decision over a doctor. Yeah. And she is making all of these decisions on her own, where she is saying, "That is my body. Mm-hmm. that is mine." And she is going to compete because we have a timeline. So true. And I need a champion. Yeah. She's going on that floor in Tokyo, and she's going to compete whether or not she is ready. And whatever the time frame it is to get her ready for the competition, you need to cut that in half. Yeah. Like that's psychotic. It's crazy. Mm-hmm.
0: It's absolutely psychotic. The the last arm break was through somebody else's decision. And now I'm venturing into it again. And I still remember at some point saying, okay, and my stomach sunk. And I remember getting to work, trying to get myself back into it so I could get, you know, I was going to physical therapy. I'm still like trying to move the arm, just trying to get mobility back from the surgery. And now I'm already back on the bars and beam and I'm not well at this point. I'm now hurting.
1: How do you find the ability to do that? Do you feel like you're just shutting off and it's like brainwash, and you just like, I don't know, I'm just going through these movements, but it's like an outer body situation. How do you, in pain, all those things, how do you muster up the strength to go in after eight weeks after this surgery? I don't really remember. Wow. Okay. I just remember you just do it. Yeah. Like you don't have a choice. And again,
0: like this is the thing about the change in personality thing. Mm -hmm. I have no recollection about having gotten through it. I remember I bombed the meat, (laughs) definitely bombed the meat. I think I beat a Russian on, on beam. And the only only reason why I remember that is that because Rick again was my coach there and he's like, Hey, look, you you beat a Russian. I do remember witnessing, Mm -hmm. um, I witnessed a coach on another team from another country slap the bejesus out of one of his gymnasts. And I was so taken aback. And even Rick, like kind of turned myself and my teammate and said, go over this way. Nobody stopped that person. Nobody said anything. Maybe they did afterwards. I don't know. But in the gym in front of all of us, I remember hearing that sound of a hand hitting skin and us walking away and thinking to myself, this is so fucked up. But I was like, well, at least my coach doesn't do that. I remember saying that to myself, like, well, at least he's never slapped me in my face. Right, right. Right. Yeah. And um, you know, was, what was really cool about Japan is that we got to have that layover in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. right? So for y'all listening, when I went to Japan, there was a stop in LAX and my whole family showed up. I got to hang out with Joy and my grandparents and it was just so good to see them, especially just during that time, because I, I knew my body was not my own mm-hmm. at that point. It, I wasn't connected with it in the same way because I was just sitting there worried about well, I'm still hurting, but I don't want to disappoint. And I just have to focus. If I just focus, I'm going to be okay. So getting to see you all at that airport was like, oh, it was so heart-filling, soul-filling. Came at like such an important time yeah. to just be able to get my ass onto that plane and to Tokyo. But of course yeah. I bombed the meeting <laughs> to get the hotel room thinking like, shit, I got to go back to-, and I have to face everybody at the gym. And we get back and I'm having some Jet lag, and I'm just thinking, I don't want to go to the gym. I have to wake up in a couple hours and go to morning practice, and I just don't want to. Mm. So, my sister's asleep. It's probably like three o'clock in the morning or something. I came downstairs, and I sat at our little table. We had these cute little director's chairs sitting in one of those chairs, and I thought, It'd just be so much easier. If I just wasn't here. So, I did go to the kitchen, and I did take out an instrument, wondering what it would be like if I just wasn't here tomorrow. And then I had thoughts of my sister and you, Joy, my mom, my dad. I thought, you know, it was one thing to break my own heart because I didn't do well, and I felt ashamed it was another thing to break everybody else's hearts by just not being there altogether. So I put the thing away, and I just sat there, and I just—I didn't cry. I never cried. There's another thing. I never cried as a little one. I cry far more after having children. I mean, I'll see like an ASPCA thing and immediately start crying, which is the moment you hear Sarah McLachlan singing, I will gush. But I go through something like that, and there's no feelings. Just sitting there thinking, I just don't want to go. I don't want to have to face the gym tomorrow. But I did, you know, get up and you keep going. <laughs> All right. So, thanks for listening about that. I know it's heavy. Um so the last meet that I ever went to was US Classics, Denver, Colorado in 1990. At this point, I am in just survival mode. Uh, I have a left arm that's not cooperating. It doesn't have full mobility. I have a right arm that's now persistently aching and in pain. And it was still continuing to lock, which tells me that probably more bone chips had probably broken off at that point. Who knows? And I think the most frustrating part was not being able to control my body in a way that I had been used to. Mm -hmm. So mastering things in the way that I liked it to, you know, the thing that I loved the most, I couldn't do it as much Mm -hmm. as I wanted. So um, I didn't do well. And I thought I was in dead last place, which Looking back, Joy, you reminded me that even if I was last place, it would have been like the best of the best of the country. But back then, thinking I was in last place to me meant I was like a horrible human being. As it turned out, I wasn't last place, but still, that's besides the point. Um, I remember falling off bars, and then I think I had rolled off BEAM, a stupid, stupid piece of the compulsory routine. BEAM is my favorite event. It's the thing that I excelled at the most. So my last event was BEAM. Optional day. And I was just at this point, like, oh, fuck all. Mm. The equivalent of what a 12 year old would say. I definitely wouldn't have said that. Fudge it all, I think I would have, would have said. And Screw it. I just told yeah. myself, forget it. Like, I've screwed up this whole day. This whole meat sucks. This year has been sucky. And I got up there and was like, I'm just going to enjoy being. I do very consciously remember making that decision and I rocked it. I rocked that last beam routine. I remember. After the dismount, I got off, and Marta said, see, now that's what you're supposed to do. Laura, you're back. Kind of like that, which felt really good. Really good. Because, you know, everybody knew that I was having kind of a tough year, and that was it. After U.S. Classics, I go back to the gym, and things have changed. My beam coach, who I loved and adored, left. but Shortly before she leaves, our other coach, Rick, is getting, like, even more salty in some ways. He Mm -hmm. starts doing these things like we'd be, you know, getting our grips on in the morning. He'd say, you have a minute to get your grips on. He'd look at his watch and he'd say 60, 45, 30, 20. And that's the way Mm -hmm. he would actually Mm -hmm. ten, nine, eight. It wasn't really giving us 60 seconds. We'd be frantically trying to get their grips on. And at that point, there is a rumor that he is with one of our teammates, moms. moms. And we all kind of know these things. And I don't know if this is like playing into his more saltiness or whatever, but He's starting to do this thing in these morning practices about the the grips. And one day he says to us in group one, if you don't get your grips on fast enough, you're going to condition for the rest of the day. And none of us do. He gets down to zero. And I don't even know if the girlfriend's daughter got her grips on fast enough. It doesn't even matter. But she and this other gymnast were allowed to stay on bars while the rest of us started conditioning. Oh. And we conditioned all day. We in morning practice, the second we got back all the way down until nine o'clock at night, because group one in general tended to be the first ones in and the last ones out. We conditioned so hard. I couldn't walk Mm. for a few days. And our old beam coach who I loved, I still remember she's like, third day is going to be the worst. Is everyone okay? She at least checked in with us.
1: Mm.
0: None of us could walk on day three.
1: So for those of you who don't know what conditioning is, every gymnast knows what it is. Basically it's strength exercises like pull-ups, chin-ups, but with gymnastics, there's a little bit more complexity because you're really using your full body and it's based on endurance as well as strength. And so you're running a lot, you're jumping and you're hopping and you're doing all these things. And so to condition from the beginning of practice when you start really early, which I'm assuming is like 6.30, 6.30 Mm -hmm. 630 in the morning. And then you go to school and you come back and you're still conditioning till the wee hours of night. It's basically having a six hour strength workout with no rest. And so that's
0: a lot. (laughs) Oh, I was sweating. I remember going home. I couldn't feel my legs. It was felt like rubber. So things like that started happening more often this conditioning mm-hmm. obsession that he was on um so that was one thing the second thing that was happening was that our beam coach left and i mm. loved her mm-hmm. she was the perfect amount of laura get your button gear and also like laura i love you mm. and of course true to form nobody's going to be processing any of your thoughts and feelings with you yeah. at that time as a kid nobody cares about that so she leaves And she's, of course, saying goodbye to us and giving us hugs and all the things. But now this other person comes to replace her. And she was absolutely nice enough. I just think I was in a space where I was just feeling really out of control. Mm. Everything around me was changing. My body wasn't responding. My coach is doing this. Like now we're getting nervous about getting our grips on Mm. fast enough. It was just stupid. It was crazy. So go to morning practice one day. And I have this memory of seeing my coach, Rick, and then this person who would eventually become his girlfriend. But at the time they weren't necessarily together, but he used to have an office that was right off the floor in gym two of the Crowley's. And I remember looking, just kind of stretching. And I look over and she came in and then kind of gave him a, like a a nuzzle, like a hug. And I was like, (laughs) they must be really close. They're good friends. Wow. (laughs) Gross. And I'm just going on with my life, not even thinking of it.
1: <laughs> I'm dying because I can see you do that at that age. Yeah. You know. It's like Bleh.
0: <laughs> at some point, it was summertime. I remember because it was really dark outside. Again, we're the last group in. In gym one, there was a tumbling strip. And it was really hot. So we had the garage door open because Crowley's had three gyms and they really very rarely put the air conditioner on, except for the six-pack team. But the rest of us. It was just put those garage doors open. So it was at nighttime and we're standing in line and something happens where the teammate of mine, whose mother is now involved with our coach, her other parent shows up and ensues a confrontation that I can't bring about here. But I bring this up because that confrontation directly impacted everybody's lives on that tumbling strip thereafter. Very shortly later... Rick is told that he's supposed to leave the gym and now he's going to pose ours, but not without one of our last practices with him. And no matter what I can think of the past mm-hmm. of Corolli's mm-hmm. and there's really great things. There's so many wonderful things in terms of like my teammates and some coaches and dance coaches and things, really wonderful victories. And there's really, really hard things, you know, instances of abuse, but I can always come back to this, which was a moment of grace mm. in such chaos, I think, mm. in life after that situation with that other parent. We're on vault. Vault was often an event that we ended on, so it'd be like 9, 9.30 at night. Again, the last group in the gym, and at some point Rick asks all of us to come down to the end of the vault. We're standing in these mats behind the vault, and he's telling us that he's going to be leaving to go to Pozar's. I think he goes around and he says, like, it's been an honor to be your coach. And he kind of tells all of us how much he cares about us and yada, yada, yada. He goes, does anyone have anything to say? Now I'm 12. So first of all, I'm a kid. I have no idea. I don't understand, you know, affairs or any of those things. I really don't get it. Mm. You know, I just see like, look, like I said about the morning practice but I do know what's happening right now. And I do know why it's happening. Mm-hmm. And I know that we're on the verge of a huge major change. It's going to very, very directly impact this group of girls that are my closest people. Yeah, And I am still one of the youngest people in this group. Yeah. So a lot of these girls to me are like big sisters, they're teammates, they're friends, they're confidants. So I'm staring in the space between all of our feet. I can't, I don't even know what to do. I would look at him. So what do we say? What do we do? But in the kind of the periphery of my eye to the right, mm. I see one of the older gymnasts in our group. It's this is phenomenal gymnast. And I just see her shoulders shaking, <laughs> going up and down. And i kind of like, what is going on? I kind of look up and I see she's laughing. She's chuckling. And her best friend in that group was standing right next to her. And those two were inseparable. They were fabulous. They were absolutely adorable together. And then she starts laughing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then before I see it, notice, you know, they're kind of like, if you could call them team captains of our like little group one, that's what they were. And of course, all of us start laughing. Yeah. I'm and sure. it was
1: awesome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was just a moment of like satisfaction. Oh, you know what? You brought this upon yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You brought this upon yourself you are going to cause havoc tomorrow and all kinds of things, but you brought this upon
1: yourself. Mm.
0: So I've got nothing to say to you, man. Yeah. And it was just like, you can treat us the way you want to treat us. But at the end of the day, you made your own decision. You made your bed. Literally. Literally. I was like, (laughs) yeah. And he just says to us, thanks guys. One more vault and you're done.
1: Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: we're like running we're walking back and we're just laughing and we do the last vault and of course the next day everything explodes Mm. you know he's gone and yeah who's gonna replace him it's like absolute
1: chaos Chaos. so what happens yeah
0: the next coach comes up and he's a really nice person but of course as people who have been there for a few years at that point and to have him replace your coach when you've been seeing him as not the next person in line after bella then it's, you know, just too much change. It's hard to rectify in your head. It was tough at this point. I'm like, I don't even know what to do. And then starts the exodus of the people that I love the most, which is these group one girls. So one ends up going to another gym and another one starts going to another gym. And now I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Meanwhile, I'm still having problems with my elbows and I'm still going to physical therapy. And my diary is saying things like, I don't know what to do. I hate my life. I don't know what to do. And my sister doesn't know what to do. And, and I'm writing in my diary that it says that, you know, my family doesn't think I'm taking things seriously, but I think I'm just really lost at this point. Mm. They don't know what to do either. Yeah. Going to another gym is not an option. We don't know where else to go. Where are we supposed to go?
1: Well, especially if you're at the best gym in the country. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Somewhere in there, I get moved up again. Not quite sure if it happens before I get to go back to Los Angeles or after, but two things really happened that was really big at the end. This is the very, very end. One is, is that when I'm in Los Angeles, I don't know how I'm connected to this doctor, but I end up getting an MRI on both elbows during mm-hmm. that time. I don't know whose idea was it. I don't know where it came from, but it was a great idea because that MRI is looked at by not Dr. Jensen or any of these doctors in Texas. It gets looked at by outside doctors. And then I think it gets sent to Dr. Stewart, who has said, you know, all the things that he has said before, it is validated, I believe.
1: With this other doctor.
0: Correct. Which is, I have arthritis at this point. I have irritation in both elbows. There's bone chips starting to proliferate in the left side as well. And basically, they're like, she needs to stop doing what she's doing right now. Otherwise, she's going to have very severe joint problems in her elbows in the future. And I'm 12 so their recommendation is take a year off let your bones heal get bigger get stronger as like literally get taller and let your bones heal and get bigger and then go back to gymnastics which at that point i'm thinking well there's no option for that i would lose out on my chance for the olympics at that point but that's later yeah in the meantime when i go back to houston i am re moved up to the six pack at this point I'm with people who used to be in group one and we are used to going to each other's birthday parties and that kind of stuff. But now it's just a completely change of characters. Mm-hmm. People aren't talking to each other. It's very bizarre for me to not be able to laugh and joke in line with the girls that I've seen back in the day. The last thing that I remember of the, my life in Crowley's was going to the ranch. My sister actually packed a bunch of snicker bars And hid them way under my bag and was like, do not tell anybody about this because I know they're going to starve you. You make sure you eat this when you get back to your thing. Mm. Again, it was so weird to not have friends when we were friends. I was used to being able to hang out with these girls. There was only one person that did. Um, I can't name her, but if she's listening, I absolutely thank you so much. But she actually looked out for me. She was absolutely sweet, sweet as sugar, as always but could only be at like under the table style has to be Mm. quiet. But I remember she was like, Laura, come with me. And again, I'm the youngest one there. I'm the smallest one there. She takes me and we kind of like end up in a lost space together. But she was the only one that kind of looked out for me because I was so shocked that these girls who sleepovers with them suddenly we're not talking to each other. Yeah. So first of all, I'm coming back from vacation, so I'm not really in shape anyway. And now I'm also having these elbow issues and now I'm not with my sister. And so you're not really eating that much. Bella would get you up really early and take you on what's called the ghost trail, which was just like a huge running area around a set of trees. And he would be on a four-wheeler and he would say, I'm giving you 30 seconds. And if I catch up to you, you're going to condition for the rest of the day. Jeez. So me, who's like tiny and I don't have a lot of endurance. Floor was, as much as I liked dancing, I was strong, but putting it all together. My third pass, I was always winded. So running for me. I'm, that's not my favorite thing to do. We start running and I'm like running for my life because Mm -hmm. I don't want the four-wheeler to catch up to me. And I would just, my heart would be out of my mouth and I'd be so scared Mm. by the end of the week. I don't know who it was, but somebody, oh man, she was so, so brave. But somewhere halfway through, turned and just went into the forest because it was an oval Mm -hmm. and we followed her. And it was amazing (laughs) to the other side and i remember just thinking my heart's about coming out of my mouth yeah. cuz i'm scared cuz what if he sees us but we get to the end and nobody said anything and that was like that was actually really nice <laughs> proud of y'all um but yeah you know i remember being on the phone there was a payphone i talked to my parents my parents and my sister told me about the results from the mri and the external doctor who confirmed and validated dr stewart's finding as well and so i'll have to say this here There's a lot of times people will say, you know, why are you complaining? Because you're just a kid. So what's wrong with your parents? Why didn't your parents do anything? And I will always say it was an entire culture, Mm. right? We were all complicit in drinking the Kool-Aid of this coaching by fear, Eastern Bloc mentality and modality style of coaching. That's what it was. There was no getting around it. I think my parents, I know your parents, my parents were so supportive. Yeah. They did the best that they could. And they thought that they were showing love and helping their daughter achieve her dream. I will never, ever blame them for not being able to. And there's a lot of things they didn't know. They were in California. Yeah. Natalie was with me. Natalie was a kid herself. And we're just doing what we can do because we're all, like you said, buying into this dream. We're all working towards it together. Yeah. But this was the time that my sister and my mom, my dad, they united and said, Laura, it's time to come home. Mm. And I remember in that moment thinking, thank God this nightmare is over. Wow. So I don't even remember really saying bye to anybody. I think I was too ashamed to say anything. Then absolutely the feeling of failure and shame mm -hmm. really started hitting hard. But I think, you know, we're trained to not think of that and sit with it for so long. So my next thing was, well, I can't do it. I can't do it. Doctor said I can't do it. So I'm going to just like pack up my stuff and go. But that phone call at the payphone to getting back to California just felt like a zombie walk.
1: Mm-hmm. It
0: felt like an out of body experience. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe I was like, it was gone. Mm-hmm. Just phew, gone. What am I supposed to do now? Yeah. I don't even know who I am
1: anymore. I've been saying I'm a gymnast for years. Well, and people are saying you're a gymnast for years yeah, too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
0: I lost my identity. I lost my friends. I lost my world. Mm. I lost the one thing that was my expression and my talent. Mm. The one place that I could, you know, dance and routines were the way of my expression. And I didn't have words. There was no words. There was no going to therapy and talking about it. There was no community that's like, let's help you through this transition from this elite gymnast status to now being a 12 year old girl in back then it was called junior high i went back and i was like what the fuck just happened the 12 year old version of that i would say that that feeling of lost happened once rick left and just sat and stayed like like fog a Mm -hmm. cloud just sitting on top
1: and consuming everything for years um holy moly well the next time we chat you're re-entering into i guess what we would say the ordinary world and yeah. how you cope with that. And that will be interesting to hear getting back into your life. um. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for this space. Mm. Thank you
0: for it's us. Safe. And thank you all for listening and for being part of our community space. Mm-hmm. We just love you all so much as well.
1: Yeah. Can we also just do a quick shout out because you have gotten a couple text messages from former teammates that have been really encouraging and I think you too our teammates our teammates shout out to you all our fabulous teammates yeah who has been checking in who has made sure that we feel safe and supported and love and it's sort of wild because I don't know how long it's been since you've connected with your teammates but for some of mine it's been decades it's been soul-filling right so you know who you are and we love you and we couldn't do this without you yeah this is what tenacity
0: mm-hmm. is all about mm-hmm. yeah. so for those of you thank you so much for sharing your stories with us as well we honor you and love you and hold you and just know that we are in this together
1: i love you i love you too i love you more i love you most bye <laughs> Up next on Hanasty the podcast, Lindsay Dix had the unique position of being both present in Laura's career as her physical therapist and in Laura's childhood as her eventual brother-in-law. 30 years later, Lindsay reflects on seeing her as an elite level child athlete
2: particularly for Laura, I, mean, I would see her running around and you know, being giggly and silly like a 12 year old would be. Yeah. And yet when I saw her in the gym, she was performing at an elite level, which was like, Oh my God, this person's a machine. The, the feats and the things that she could do, it was just like mind boggling. And so when you treated somebody like that as a patient, it was like, I would see her as a 12 year old and I would also see her as this, you know, in retrospect, you think about it, it's kind of stupid. I even thought about it that way, but because she was so capable, Physically, you thought she would be capable mentally and emotionally. you sort of thinking, oh man, this person is so gifted in this and they're so capable at this. Then they must be advanced mentally, emotionally as well. So I probably didn't pay enough attention to the fact that this was a 12-year-old psyche. In fact, probably even less than that because she would not really got to ever experience being a 12-year-old.
1: Listen in to Lindsay's Reflection on Episode 7, PT Pro to Big Bro on Amazon and Spotify. Thanks for tuning in. If you have any questions, please
0: reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and our website, Hanacity.com.
1: Share and follow us on Amazon and Spotify. Help us out and leave a five-star review. Thanks.